Hold on. I've got something really important to say right now. Are you ready? Happy International Women's Day. And yes, today is Friday, so we're a little bit early, but the episodes with guests tend to get a bit more traction, and so that makes my voice just a little bit louder for the people in the back who may not have heard me. And we're going to say it again later in the episode when my guest for today, Lucy Hendricks, joins me. But let me tell you a little bit of uh, what Lucy Hendricks is all about and why she's on the podcast. She is not only influential to female trainers, but also to male trainers in the way that she approaches fitness as something greater than just exercise and nutrition. There's so much more to it. There's the management of stress. There is the aspect of meditation and nature and walking and getting daylight. And that is things that we talked about. On top of that, we really dove down the rabbit hole on this one, and she shared some some tough experiences, some things that she really had to uh, be real with me, to be quite honest, because sometimes people look like they're just crushing it, like they're killing it, that they're at the best of their game financially on the Instagram and everything else. And it doesn't mean that they aren't struggling with things, and there's no rule that says you can't be really good at something and be struggling with something else. And we talked about how meditation impacted her and how taking steps back from that meditation process that she had, she noticed it. It's an important episode to me for you to listen to. We talked about all kinds of things that make up who we are as fitness professionals and experiences that we have and ways of finding connection and and community and compassion and expressing empathy and shared experiences and just why why she does what she does why i do what i do why training is more than just training there are very few podcast episodes that talk about these things in the way that we did and i'm not saying that i'm better than any other podcast host or that our conversation was more valuable than anybody else's conversation But these are things that a lot of people can relate to that they've never heard before. These are concepts or processes or journeys that people think that they are alone. People think that nobody else goes through what they go through. Or people think that they're not going to find compassion when they ask for it. They're not going to understand what holding space is. And for that reason, when you listen to this one, please share it. Please share it on your social media Please send the link to it in an email to your friend. Talk about it. And not because it's for this podcast, but because it's a conversation that I think has an impact and can impact other people through the art of compassion, connection, relation, understanding that we are not alone, and understanding that, yes, you should check on your strong friends. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Welcome to The Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. Welcome to episode 104, and I am joined today 
by Lucy Hendricks. Did I get your name right? Yes. Yeehaw. So <laughs> how, how are you doing today? I am doing good. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm a little sleepy, but like that's, that's nothing unusual. So um, if you were at a party and you had to introduce yourself at the party, how would you introduce yourself? What are the things about you that you're the most proud of? I guess that would depend if I'm feeling like talking to someone or not. <laughs> my <laughs> introvert answer or my extrovert answer. <laughs> um, I think the mo thing that I'm most proud of is being able to train people who are very deconditioned and in pain or have autoimmune problems who think that their body is not capable of much. And I'm able to give them a little bit of hope and meet them where they're at and progress them from there. I would say that's probably what I'm most proud of. I like that answer. And like, if you like your resume, what would your resume say? Just to kind of give people an idea of like who you are from your words. Yeah. Um, like how I got into the industry. Um, just kind of the description of your day to day now, because I kind of dive down the rabbit hole further along. So just like, mm -hmm. who are you today at this present moment in time? What do you do like on any given day sort of thing? Okay. Um, well, I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and I own a gym here with my business partner. And it's a gym that is trying to become more than just a gym right now. We're going through a lot of transitions on really being able to impact people's health at a level that most trainers don't end up hitting. I think most people get in the industry and they're given two tools, and it's fitness and nutrition. And like most people who take their job very serious, end up realizing that those were just two pieces out of the other 20 pieces that impact health. So we're really trying to figure out how can we have a gym that influences all these other factors as well, like sleep and community and eating real food, getting time in nature, getting sun exposure, all that stuff that a lot of people don't seem to see how big of an influence it has on their health. So that's what I do right now is how can we build a gym that gets really good at these basic life needs and builds a culture where people believe that health is influenced by many factors, not just burning calories and eating less calories. I like it. And it, it's something that I really relate to. I've found that in a lot of my conversations, it's talking about nature and connection and stress management and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I have to give a shout out to my friend Dean Guido because he was really excited when uh, he heard you're coming on the podcast. So Dean says hi. Um, something that stands out and kind of makes you stand out in the industry is how much you have contributed to my friend Dean and how his understanding is of things. And from from my standpoint, a lot of your work is like, cueing on breathing and like just how much breathing can factor into everything that we're doing with fitness um how would how would you describe that like what has been your most uh eye-opening discoveries when it comes to coaching that and helping other coaches to coach that it's been very eye-opening on how my understanding of what i'm doing has evolved throughout the years because if you look at my training from seven years ago, I was still doing breathing exercises. And my understanding of why it works and why it has such a positive impact has evolved throughout the years. 
So even though I'm still doing the same thing, just having a different viewpoint on it. And coaching breathing is just like coaching any other movement that personal trainers coach. So what we do is we're just looking at the body and how it moves. But the only thing that's kind of unique to what we do and other people in the industry do is we appreciate how breathing affects certain movements like being able to extend someone's hip, being able to retract someone's shoulder, being able to bend over and touch your toes. So when we talk about coaching breathing, I don't want it to make it seem like it's its own separate entity. It's how we just see breathing and appreciate movement and how they're connected together. And yeah. when you are able to put those two together, we're able to make lifting feel really good. Like people consistently say that they don't feel things in their low back. They don't feel things in their knees. They don't feel things in their neck. And when lifting feels really good, people seem to be more motivated to exercise. And that's what I try to teach other coaches is how can you coach movement in a way that feels good and feels successful. They feel like they're getting work in, but it doesn't hurt. And it feels good when they walk out of the gym instead of waking up with back pain and hip flexor pain all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, it's such an underrated concept and my grasp on the concept is still like, I always consider myself a beginner. There's always something more I can learn. And that's what I love about being a podcast host, because it doesn't matter who I talk to. I always have something new I can learn. Um, but it's like, it's crazy to think that such a simple thing can be so profound in its crossover in application, how we can use it for so many other things. Um, and I like your approach. And as I highlight that, I want to say early, happy International Women's Day coming up on, on Sunday. And I think it's, it's cool. I like highlighting women in the fin fitness industry because a lot of my listeners are females. I think it's probably about 60%. And it's uh, tough to be a female uh, fitness enthusiast or trainer or client that doesn't have people to look up to. But I would say you are a person to look up to. So hopefully people listening to this look you up um, and discover more about you and how, how you influence in your interactions and the things that you provide at uh, like seminars or at your facility. Thank you. That's pretty impressive. You have that many female listeners. That's really cool. I think it's just like my, my style. I do the long posts. I'm uh, very, uh, I share a lot. I tell my story a lot and uh, I'm just, I'm one of those soft around the edges kind of trainers. <laughs> That's awesome. The thing that I like about uh, having you on as a guest is your holistic approach. Cause it's funny before I even like really understood that more people call their training approach, a holistic approach. I just kind of said it in passing to a client one time and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of like a, a hippy dippy, a holistic trainer. I was, I care about your gains in the gym, but I also care about like, how are you doing as you get into the gym? How is your sustainability with like stress? Like, how are you doing outside of the gym? How is your sleep? All that stuff. And it's definitely very influenced by like Dean Guido, Anthony Harder. They they played a big role in like my first few years and they continue to. But um, how would you describe the holistic approach to training? Like how, how did you get influenced into starting it that way? And what motivates you to continue to do it that way? 
I think it started, it started when I was younger with my mom. Uh, my brother had what they considered a learning disability and my mom refused to put him on medication and talked about how his gut health really impacted his hyperactivity. And that was the first time that the, the, the idea of something out of like a different topic, or not a different topic, but like something like gut health can impact another aspect of your life. Or she mentioned how skin health, if you have an unhealthy gut, you'll have acne. So when all my friends were getting put on Accutane, I was terrified because I knew my mom wouldn't let me take medication. So when I told her what would happen if I got acne, she said, just don't eat sugar. <laughs> and so it was the first time that that concept was introduced of, you know, if you're unhealthy, you'll have all these other things manifest that might not seem like a, like a connection, but everything is connected. And that was the first time. But of course, I didn't believe her and I had to rebel and go against her for many years. But when I got in the industry, my first employer introduced me to this doctor called a Terry Walls. Uh, do you know who she is? Yeah, I heard her. Yeah, she's the author of the Walls Protocol. And what ended up happening with her was she developed an autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, and it progressed so much that she was in a wheelchair. And not just through diet, but by looking at other aspects of her life, she was able to reverse the symptoms of the disease. And now she walks, bikes, hikes, like is fully active, speaks all over the world, has a clinic of her own and her own healthcare certification. And she changed her diet. She talked a lot about meditation, talked a lot about sleep, talked a lot about connection and nature. So that was the first time that the same concept that my mom was trying to teach me was reintroduced to me. And it just made sense. It made a ton of sense. Um, so throughout the years, I spent a lot of time working on myself, working on my sleep, working on nutrition, working on all these other factors. And I also try to work that with my clients. Because you said, kind of like you said, you it's not just about working out. It's about your stress levels and how are you sleeping? Like how are you as a person walking into the gym? Yeah. And then that's Terry Walls really was the person that sparked that. Um, and she sparked it even more so last year when I got to interview her because I thought I was going to have to leave the fitness industry and get into politics because <laughs> uh, I really needed to make change, not just with people's health in the gym, but people who also can't afford a gym. Yeah, uh, yeah. How do we get the society as a whole healthy? Because I've realized that the same enemies the fitness industry has also are the same people paying lobbyists and our congressmen to pass laws and bills that don't benefit us. So I interviewed her and she gave me a different take on what I was thinking. And she made me realize that us as gym professionals or fitness professionals in the gym setting can create the future of healthcare by teaching people all these other factors influence your health. And these are the ways you can work on it. Here are the basic needs. Like you don't need to get a sleep expert to tell you to get light exposure in the mor morning to help you with sleep. Yeah. Or you don't need a nutritionist to tell you that the quality of your food is important. Um, so that's, 
that's how I got started really was Terry Walls, I would say, is my biggest influence. I like that. And just like even the extent that uh, simple is sometimes it, it almost seems too simple, you know, like to be like, okay, wake up, um, take some time to start up your day, get get the sun exposure, uh, get some exercise, like just these little habits that we can we can do that we don't need to to hire out, source out expert upon expert upon expert upon expert, just like start small, do little things and it'll compound with time. Um, I like that. And it's something that I find from my experience, I'm really good at telling other people to do it, but maybe in my own sense, like I, I struggle to, to sometimes do it myself. And there's been times that I've felt that like I've almost fallen into into a trap or like I've lost track of like how stressed I got or like how like emotionally run down I got and um I was I was watching your Instagram story and it just kind of like something clicked I was I need to get her on the podcast you're sharing your experience on a period of time where you really had to work on yourself and like uh you also I saw you had an article that you wrote about it and just talking essentially about mental health and stuff um, I'm wondering if you could, uh, tell me a little bit more about that experience and, and what it was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about this because I think it's important, but as throughout the years, I worked on all these other aspects of my health, the sleep and nutrition and getting my resting heart rate down, all that stuff. Like I was moving so many things in the right direction throughout these years but there was one aspect in my life that was moving in the complete opposite direction, um, almost completely spinning out of control, which was my mental health. Um, and I developed fears and anxieties and behaviors and coping strategies that most people would probably be very embarrassed at admitting that had happened to them, uh, to the point where I guess this time last year I was pretty suicidal. Um, but if you follow me on social media and didn't see my few posts about my own struggles, like you would never know that. In fact, like last year and the year before that was my most successful year when it came to producing content, mastering my teaching skills, mastering my coaching skills. I spoke all over the country. I built a decent audience. And I feel like I had a small positive impact in our industry, but at the same time, in silence, I was struggling so much. Um, and I think the big problem with mental health is that we're all struggling in silence. And when people struggle and no one is talking, there's no one to learn from. And if you think about it, like we, we learn how to think a certain way, behave a certain way. So we think the way we do, we act the way we do because we watched other people behave. So we learn how to behave in this world by just watching other people behave in this world. And so as a society, we have similar behavior. So when, when you're tired, what do you do? You sleep. You sleep. And when you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. Yeah. And then so as a society, we have all these like similar learned behaviors. And then we have some differences. Like if you um, want something, maybe you learn to ask what you want for. And then 
another person learn to just hide it in and passively aggressively try to get what they want. So we have differences from families to cultures to culture and family to family. But if we're struggling and silence and no one is talking, who do we learn from? Yeah, that's so true. So when the unwanted thoughts start to happen, when the nightmares start to happen, when these behaviors and obsessions of checking the oven, turning around from going to work every single day to check the oven to make sure my cats are okay, like, what do I do then? Like, how do I cope with this? Like, I never watched anyone deal with it other than mainstream media and, you know, novellas and the TV. Like, how do they deal with mental health? They take a pill like that's the only coping strategy that you learn watching TV like no one there is no TV show or series where they talked about Jane meditating 30 minutes a day to cope with all of her unwanted thoughts mm -hmm. no one talks about these things and I think that's why I hid that side of me for so long because I struggled so much but at the same time I was so successful in certain areas in my life and I couldn't accept both and even loved ones couldn't accept both. Like I had a loved one really struggle having any compassion towards me because he, he said, I just, it's hard to believe that you struggle so much because you're so good at other things. And I think that's why we need to start talking about it because it is true. You can be so good at things in your life, but then also struggle so much at the same time. Um, so I had to really learn how to work on myself. And the first time that I was really able to take a step in the right direction was when someone showed compassion towards me and understanding. And when someone was able to do that, I was able to take personal responsibility and healing. Um, Cause there's this weird, like all these now reflecting back, it's like I can totally see why all these things happen, all the trauma, all the things that I had to go through. So like, of course, that that's what ended up happening. Um, but it wasn't until someone showed me that compassion and understanding that I was able to turn things around and take responsibility for my own health. And I think when it comes to mental health and anything, obesity, any type of thing that needs requires lifestyle change and healing. Um, there's two extremes. There's the, the compassion and understanding, but then there's now we're just normalizing it like, like obesity and we're normalizing unhealthy, being unhealthy and being obese because we have all this compassion towards people. And then there's the other extreme of, you know, suck it up. It's your responsibility to change. Like it's your future or it's your people have had it worse than you. And that the two extremes don't really help people. <laughs> yeah. Like how can we bring it in the middle where how can we have understanding and compassion towards people struggling, whether it's obesity, mental health, anything. Um, and then how can we show them to how to take responsibility for their own healing and their own healthy journey? So I like the the talking about compassion and I'll segue back to that later. But what was working on you like for you? Because like I, I have ways that I work on myself. I do my daily episodes here on this podcast, which kind of forces me to have self-reflection and really 
find ways to like work through different questions on my mind. And that's sort of like a way that forces me to do it because I'm accountable to whoever listens. And then it happens and it kind of keeps me in a state of like, I don't know, consistency. I have a routine that I do and it causes me to stop and breathe and reflect and like think things through. But for you, what, what does working on yourself, what, what's the process like for you? Um, you definitely said the word routine there. Um, if you look at inpatient rehab, which I sometimes feel like I should have gone multiple times reflecting back, the big thing for them is routine. And that can really help with people dealing with mental health. So I had developed a routine of meditating every morning, doing yoga, meal prepping. So the less I can think about what I need to do in the day of like, where am I having lunch? What am I eating for lunch? So the less thought there was on my daily routines, the more I was able to handle other stressors. Uh, But I would say the meditating was huge. Um, It wasn't what helped me the most, but it was the base that I needed to learn new patterns and new behaviors because I was always told, oh, you're just thinking negatively or just ask yourself better questions or say things like you get to do it instead of I have to. And I always thought those things were bullshit. (laughs) It's just like I can't just change the way I'm thinking. Uh, But it wasn't until I learned how to meditate and become present that I was finally able to change my negative thoughts and change my negative anxiety and really challenge myself. Like, am I what I'm thinking about? Is it really true? Like, is it like what what evidence do I have to show me that this negative thought or this assumption or this catastrophic thought is real? Um, So once I developed the base which was my meditative practice, I was able to work on my negative thoughts and catastrophic thoughts, which I've been working with with a therapist. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many uh, fitness professionals that will happily admit that they see a therapist. Like it's, it's a therapist is for anybody. It's just like a dentist. Like we, our mental health is just like our health health. We need help with all aspects of what we do, just like we hire an accountant sometimes. Um, When it comes to meditation, like I'll have discussions of meditation with people and I try to just simplify it, make it seem more accessible that it doesn't, there's your meditation doesn't have to be the same as someone else's meditation. But if somebody was skeptical to you based on your life experiences, how would you uh, remove some of the barriers towards them having a practice of their own? Um. What kind of barriers are you thinking about? I guess I guess there's skepticism or maybe they're feeling like uh, they need to be instructed professionally on how to meditate or maybe they're feeling like they don't have enough time. There's a lot of people that are just busy, 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 and they're like, I can't stop for that. Like, I, I have things to do. Mm. Um, I guess I would go with, because we had a meditation challenge, and that was one of the biggest barriers we had was um, I don't have time for it. But what we did was we made it to the point where it was a very short amount of time, 10 minutes. And instead of asking them to do 15 minutes twice a day or 30 minutes in one sitting, and 
really making sure that they're not seeing a meditation as positive and negative or a good or a bad meditation because there's no such thing as a bad meditation. A bad meditation is one that is not done. Yeah. Uh, most people think that if they can't shut off their mind, that they just failed at meditating when that is not the case. Even the best meditators have thoughts, but the difference with those people is that they are able to let go of the thoughts a lot faster. And that's what you're doing. You're literally training your brain to bring yourself back to the present moment. And it will be very hard at first, just like any new skill. Like when you first learned how to drive, everything was very new and not automatic. And once you got the hang of it, it became a little easier. And that's what you're doing with your thoughts. And they use the word, you want to see your thoughts in a non-judgmental way. Um, but I like to say the word in a de-threatening way. And this is what I got from learning with pain. So when it comes to pain, if you can, if you feel threatened, your body's best protective me mechanism is to create pain. So it is shown, or they've, they've shown that when people get an MRI and they get a diagnosis of a meniscal tear, that their pain will increase just the thought of a meniscus tear because that thought is very threatening. So what does your body do? Well, I'm feeling threatened, so I'm going to produce a little bit more pain. And they've used meditation to help decrease people's pain because when you feel your pain or when you think about your pain, if you can de-threaten that feeling, you now de-threaten the, the danger response so then the pain can decrease. Same thing with meditation. If you come up with a thought that you've been ruminating or something that makes you anxious, can you train your brain into thinking of that thought in a non-threatening way? And then so you literally are training your brain to be more resilient with it because you're training yourself to respond differently to that thought. And when it comes to meditation or when it comes to any of these basic life needs or uh, yeah, basic life needs, you're not going to get results right away. And that's the big expectation I need to put on people. It's not like you're going to meditate for the next five days and be like, wow, I feel better. Um, meditation works more like two years or two months down the road. You look back and you realize, oh, wow, things are so much different now. And I didn't even realize it. And that expectation is huge for people who are skeptical. Because usually like, well, I tried it for five days or I tried it for a day. Well, it doesn't work that way. It's you do it and you build the practice and you look back two months down the road and you realize how different your life is. Or if you're like me, you stop doing it. And then a month later you realize, oh, crap, that was really impacting me in a really positive way. And I didn't even realize my routine was keeping me sane. So um, what happened in your life that all of a sudden you stopped doing it? <laughs> Um, my long distance boyfriend came to move with me for two months and I had a really strict routine. I was meditating 30 minutes a day, yoga three times a week, training three times a week. And when he moved, I thought, well, I'll just let go of everything and just meditate 10 minutes a day. And sometimes those 10 minutes wouldn't happen. And two months later, I'm like taking five steps back and I'm losing my tolerance. I'm having anxiety again. So it was reflecting back. Oh, wow. 
I was doing so much better and I didn't even realize it because now I'm back to feeling pretty bad right now. Yeah. Well, I like that you talk about that because we're all human. We're all going to have like things that change in our life socially. We're all going to have routines where we, we're like, oh, yeah, no, we're good. We can make this work. And then we have that wake up call. Um, do you track like when you do your meditation? Is there a way that you track it? Do you journal it or like just your progress, how you're feeling, anything like that? I do track it with my planner, my uh, my to-do list. Okay. So the last couple of days on my daily episodes, I've been talking a lot about journaling. And like this stuff just kind of, it's my thoughts of the day. And it's totally coincidental that it totally aligns with this episode. I just like that it worked out that way. Um, teach me how to journal. I'm horrible at journaling and like tracking and keeping track of anything. Um, so I want to know from the pro, I consider you a pro at this stuff. Um, what, what's your best advice for this? Oh, I am not a pro at tracking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm a beginner. I've, I've just learned like how much being able to write things down and keep a schedule can help with your mental health Yeah, and be to be mindful because your mind is not for remembering it's for making i forget what book i think it's getting things done i didn't even read but i've heard about it many times <laughs> uh, it's your mind it's something about your mind is not for remembering it's for making ideas or something like that or creating ideas and i was definitely the kind of person that remembered everything um, appointments, like I have my work schedule with my appointments on my phone, so I don't remember those, but little things like dentist appointment, haircuts, like I just would remember everything. And that can really prevent you from being mindful because if you can't let go of those things. So what I do when it comes to tracking and being able to be mindful is I look at my to-do list and I look at my calendar and I any thoughts or any ideas that I can think of before I meditate, I write them down. And then I look at my to-do list again and I think, is there anything else that I'm forgetting? Anything else that I need to do, some tasks that I'm forgetting, and I look at my schedule. So when I start to meditate, if I think of anything like, oh, I need to text this person, it's like I already wrote it down and I'm able to let it go. So being able to track my to-do list and being able to track all my tasks and all my ideas, which I have a lot of, has helped me with my meditative process. Um, when it comes to journaling, I have not gotten into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like a, it's a very broad term because journaling for me is going to look different than journaling for the person down the street and it's going to look different trainer to trainer. But I think the the act of just like kind of getting things off your mind so Mm -hmm. you can be present and you can be more focused and that whole art of like understanding that being in the beginner mindset makes a lot of things a lot more accessible taking the pressure off of the fact that we have to be perfect because nobody is truly perfect like we we all have accessibility in towards bettering ourselves in whatever aspect it's just the matter of taking those tiny steps yeah, and being able to embrace failure and setbacks. And we try to really communicate that with clients. Yeah. This is a process, and you will have failures. You will have setbacks. You will try a diet and fail, and you'll try again. And you really have to embrace that process. Well, I like that you bring that up because I find that most of my compassion for other people's 
setbacks comes from my own personal failures and my own personal setbacks. Outside of the mental health realm of things, have you ever had any like failures that have really taught you lessons? Mm. I mean, so many. <laughs> um, I think I enjoy failure with when it comes to learning new skills. Yeah. Uh, and I think getting past those failures is how I'm able to get things done. Like I, I don't see it as a failure if I spent 20 hours on a weekend learning how to use this software and then I find out that that was the wrong software or there was a better one. Like, well, it got me to the best one. So like that's, to me, it's not really failure, it's more practice. Yeah, and changing, absolutely. Yeah, changing that around instead of seeing I failed, it's no, I practiced to get to from point A to point B, I got all this practice and that's how I was able to get to that point. Well, I think in this industry in particular, just a lot of people get stuck on the expectations of what they think the process looks like. And so on the topic of like social media, a lot of people want to gain traction on their social media and they're like, oh, I put out this post and it had all this really great content and it got eight likes. And they're not considering the fact that they just produced this unreal content that's out there in the world and somebody's going to read it just maybe not today um what kind of advice would you have for someone that is just struggling that they they aren't learning lessons from their failure they're feeling defeated every time and just beat down um i would say seeing it as a practice and then looking at success in a different way um the way I used to see it was if I shared one article and one person saw it and got help from it, whether it was my article or me sharing someone else's article, like to me, that was enough. Like if you just influence one person and if that one person can keep you going, like eventually you will be influencing more people. Yeah. Uh, instead of seeing it as a failure that you didn't get all this traction, but what if you really helped the two people that liked it? Yeah. And and then I think in the industry, when it comes to in the fitness industry, but also speaking there, there's not this like slow progress when it comes to influencing people and money, even making money. You go from not making any money and doing a lot of things for free <laughs> to making a decent amount. But there's not like this slow going up the stairs, making little like, you are going to have to do things for free. You are going to have to not get paid. Um, but instead of seeing it as a failure, see it as practice to get to where you want to be um, and measuring success in a different way. Like, can you just influence one person and change that one person? Well, I completely agree. There's there's so many instances where it's just like I will put something out or I will have a gesture. I'll spend some time talking to somebody and I'll be like, you know, this just one person. Then I'll like, give my head a shake and I'll understand that is one person. That is a person like impact doesn't have to be more than one person it can be one and be magnified by how that person shows up in the world and how it's like scales out like one person is then going to impact others so like your influence on dean and anthony then in turn influenced me and then we did full circle and now you're on my podcast mm -hmm. isn't that crazy to think about yeah yeah and i even had a my friend who owns multiple businesses wanted to set up this meeting for me to meet this one guy who owns a tennis club and he could hear the hesitation in, 
in my voice because I have a lot going on right now. Um, and he goes, Lucy, as your friend and your business coach, you don't say no to these opportunities. You know, 10 meetings will end up in a eight out of 10 will end up in a failure. So what you wasted 45 minutes in each meeting, but those two meetings, you make one connection, you make one good friend, you make one good deal that can impact you so much. So you just don't say no to everything and you don't see everything as a failure, like yeah. see it as opportunities. And even if it doesn't end up in anything, maybe just meeting with that person down the road, they'll connect you with someone who's really important, who will get you where you need to be. Agreed. And great segue. You used the word connection. And so we talked about compassion. Um, and in compassion, you don't get that without a quality connection. And like just in terms of community, it's a big buzzword, especially here in Edmonton. Community comes up a lot in hashtags and stuff. But I want to dive into what feels like a genuine, like intentional, um, I guess, nourishing connection for you. What does that look like by your definition? I think it's when you feel like you belong and you feel understood. And that's the connection we give people when they come to the gym. Um, and sometimes we'll get people who already see health the way we see it. They already see this like holistic approach. And when they see that we believe in it, it's like, wow, you all are my people. So we get to connect and being able to belong in like the same community that believe the same things and value the same things. But the other part is being able to be understood. And that's where the compassion and understanding really comes in is I totally get you. And the reason you are the way you are, the reason you're struggling, like that is totally understandable that you feel this way and that you're going through this. Um, so I think when it comes to connection, we really try to push a feeling of belonging and feeling understood. And that's how we give people to connect in our community. So something that uh, got me thinking is like, we talked about your tough time where you kind of felt, well, you kind of felt isolated in a sense, like when, when you had your, your mental health problems and it's like, we talked about Instagram, it's like the Instagram looked successful. It looked like everything was going well and like financially everything was going good. How would you, if it happened again, or if you knew somebody going through what you were going through, how would you want them or encourage them to seek connection with you? Um, like if it was a client? Yeah, a client, a friend, anything like that. That's a really good question. Um, it's, I think that's hard. Yeah. Because the person going through it doesn't even know what they need. So I think holding a space where it's non-judgmental and you can just go through whatever you're going through. Um, and then it's, I don't want to say holding space, but it kind of is holding space for someone. And I think opening up about my own struggles and I work with a trauma expert, I see a counselor and it's like, I don't have to, I can listen and I can be there for you, but I don't have to fix anything. So I can just be there non-judgmentally and allow you to still be in this community or allow you to still come and feel safe coming to this community, even though you're going through these struggles. Yeah. Uh, but I guess being able to hold space for someone because and the person struggling doesn't know what the right word is. They don't know what they need. Um, and neither do we. 
but we can hold space and allow them to still feel welcome even when they're going through a struggle. You put it perfectly, especially with holding space, because like holding space seems like a fluffy, like rainbow mm-hmm. unicorn term, but it's it's truly a thing. By my experiences, it's you're willing to be there to listen. You're you're literally like opening up part of your day to be present for that person. And by present, like you're you're listening to what they have to say and hearing it for what it is not necessarily like we as compassionate people we aren't equipped to fix everything but we can certainly listen and kind of hear where a person's coming from and i think that's just it's a skill that takes a lot of practice and it's a skill that a lot of people are beginners at and we're always going to learn to be better but it's something that uh has impacted me huge in the last couple of years as a podcast host understanding the value in holding space for people and understanding the value of compassion. And that's that's why I like to bring these stories onto the podcast because without saying it, people understand that they are safe. Like as, as my client, as my friend, this is sort of a place where this dialogue can be talked about where if a person is like, wow, I really relate to that, then like then they have access to other people that kind of feel the way that they feel or have been through the things that other people have been through. Whereas otherwise, when are they going to experience that moment where it's like, Oh, I relate to that. Like without these like uh, rabbit hole conversations that we're having here, there, there is no point where they relate. Yes. And we actually had a moment like that in our meditation challenge where my cousin, who's a counselor uh, walked in and she, she had us, all right, everybody go down the line and say one reason why you can't be mindful. And I'm thinking, oh no, no one's going to (laughs) share. This is going to be a failure. And and no one was saying anything. So then I raised my hand and I said, uh, I ruminate all night when I'm really anxious. And then all of a sudden, every single person starts to open up and I worry about my loved ones. I put all this pressure on myself. I feel like I'm never doing enough. I can co- never stop thinking about my to-do list and what I need to do next, and I'm never doing enough. And everybody, every person went through, and then I interrupted the end, and I said, well, I don't know about you all, but every person that went, I was thinking, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, me too. And then everybody laughed. So I'm, I took that as he assumed as everybody agreed with me. And that's when I wrote the email to them that day of how do we get our kids to do this or your kids? I don't have kids, their kids to do this. And, and it's not by telling them to meditate. It's by stop being silent with all the problems that we mentioned tonight. And just like we talked about earlier in the podcast, it's mommy and daddy meditate to deal with the stress from work or when the thoughts get too much, these are the things that we do. So instead of saying, hey, I need you to meditate, it's show them the behavior that they need to ad- adapt when their things start to happen. And then they learn how to cope with things. Yeah. Well, I like that whole like putting it out there on the on the main stage, because like something that I tell to a lot of people, but I kind of feel like they don't really believe me. is just like everybody in your life has their their ebbs and flows, their ups and downs, their, their moments of weakness, their times when like they could really use some meditation. And it's just like the, the amount of relatability that we have to the people around us, whether they're like 
police officers or doctors or teachers or parents or grandparents, everybody can relate. And because we're not talking about it like this, we don't know that they can relate. So then we're reluctant to be open and communicate about it and get that sense of connection. So then I guess I repeat it often over and over, but one of my friends told me like, you have to tell somebody three times for it to, to sink in. And so I think, uh, just, yeah, having those, having those events or conversations or little circles of, of discussion and actually having the topic be something on those terms and, uh, to keep us on track for time, like sleep challenge, meditation challenge. Um, I think I heard about the sleep challenge. I was listening to some of your appearances on other podcasts this morning. Um, what is your inspiration for putting out those challenges? Like what kind of first got you thinking about the very first challenge that you put out? I didn't want my mom to die. <laughs> um, she was working 14 hours a day, became the caregiver of my grandma and has to deal with my other sibling. And then I was keeping all the stuff about myself to myself because I didn't want her to stress out anymore. And she was in chronic pain. And one day I just said, if you end up like Nana, um, I will not take care of you. Like if you end up like debilitative and have, have dementia, like I will not take care of you because you're not taking care of yourself right now. Um, and she kind of listened out of everybody in my family. She listens to me the most, <laughs> but I developed the sleep challenge basically for her. I'm like, well, I'll just get the whole gym to get on board with sleep. And she got on board with the sleep. And then I created the meditation challenge and she took it even further than I did in the beginning. I mean, started meditating 40 minutes a day. So it really was me being worried about my mom and her ability to handle stress that pushed me to do that and getting my clients to buy in. Yeah. Um, that That is honestly a lot of why I do a lot of the things I do. I'll have somebody in my life that I know that I can help. And so sometimes when I feel like I can't help, just help them, I'll help a whole bunch of people to indirectly help that one person. Yeah, it works. So in the next five years, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Like what's something that you really want to accomplish in the next five years? It's really nailing down the model in a gym setting that can get people really good at the basics. Um, I would say like the way I see it is if every expert, a sleep expert, physical therapist expert, trauma expert, nutritionist, all these experts that cost a lot of money all came into one room and they all had to decide, okay, well, if all of our patients and clients needed a gym that would best support us, what would be the things that they need to learn how to do? And that's breathing and lifting and cardio and sleep basics and nutrition and nature and like basically our pillars, um, really having a model that can be recreated so I can teach it to other gyms and then get the fitness industry politically involved so we can get bills and policies passed where gyms that follow this model get massive tax cuts and we can advocate for people who can't afford a $400 gym membership. 
Because if we got tax cuts, we could make it more affordable. Yeah. So just that can fight for social justice, who care about people, not just the ones that can afford a gym membership, but everybody. Yeah. So that's that's the goal. <laughs> I like it. That's a good goal. So if you were to give one piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic or true to themselves way, what would that piece of advice be? It would be exactly what you just said. Be 100% authentic and be yourself and don't be afraid at swimming against the stream and don't be afraid at being stubborn and don't be afraid at getting defensive when someone challenges your beliefs as long as you can go back and reflect and then think, okay, maybe I do need to change the way I think. Um, but not be afraid at being stubborn and sticking to your guns, but then also being okay with changing later on. I love it. So thank you so, so much for joining me thank today. You. If you don't already, go follow Lucy Hendricks on Instagram. You can find her Lucy underscore Hendricks, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S. Go to coachlucyhendricks.com. I find that her, her blog posts are awesome. So I want you to read them point blank. There's uh, She's not paying me to say this. I just am interested in you being interested in someone that I think is doing a really great job. And I don't do this often. So who cares? Like This is a great female fitness professional who's doing an awesome job. And happy International Women's Day. And go focus on you. Go adopt a meditation practice. Find what you need to be accountable to your wellness and understand that we are all beginners, that we can all work on ourselves in some way that works for us and that fitness is more than just fitness and nutrition. There's so much more. There's the management of stress. There's the sleep challenges. There's the meditation challenges. There's the getting the daylight and having the downtime and holding space for people and talking about things and connection and community and there's so much more. So I hope that you got inspired. And if you're still listening, give this episode a share. Share the crap out of it. I'd really appreciate it. And I know that some people are going to really benefit from this. So thank you for supporting the Lifestyle Chase. And we'll catch you next time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I almost forgot. So if you like what I talk about, my interview style, and if you're kind of thinking that you might be interested in the other people that I interview, I've got a lot of episodes out there. So I do daily ones that are 12 minutes long. So that kind of pushes out the other guest ones that I've that I've interviewed. So I have about 170 episodes out there and 104 with guests. So if you're interested in hearing some of the ones with guests that are maybe episode 1 through 60, you can go to thelifestylechase.podbean.com. You can also find what I'm all about at www.invigoratetraining.com. I was told that I never really talk about myself. My name is Chris Little if we haven't met Thanks for listening. There we go. Now we'll catch you tomorrow.